David writes in the book of Psalms, he says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. And then in verse 14, it says that He is mindful that we are but dust. God is intimately aware of that which plague us. That sins, those struggles, those difficulty, those hardships, and He loves us still. He is intimately aware of our failures, our frustrations, and yet He loves us still. What an amazing and gracious God. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Philippians. We're going to continue reading this morning. We're going to read verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4 in the book of Philippians. As we continue to walk through the book of Philippians, you're, you're sitting out there this morning and you're thinking, how many more sermons can this guy preach out of one chapter? Uh, we, we, we've got a few more weeks. We've got a few more weeks in the book of Philippians. Uh, and then for those of you uh, who are just itching to get back to the Old Testament. We'll probably go back to the Old Testament. Uh, but we're going to be in Philippians just a few more weeks. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 this morning. <clears throat> Paul encourages the church. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your heart, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, Lord, may we heed these biblical principles that are here. May the peace of God that indeed surpasses all understanding, may it guard our hearts and our mind as we trust in you. Lord, may you teach us through your word how to war against anxiety. May we see your goodness and your gospel demonstrated in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now this passage is for every mom that is out there with little ones. This passage is for every dad out there that is wondering how in the world am I going to be the father that I need to be. This passage is for every student out there thinking, you know, what does God want me to do with our lives? And, and, and Paul encourages the church he says, don't be anxious. And so, for us, now let me, let, me, let me back up and pause just a moment and let me remind us of the context that we're in. Paul comes through the book of uh, Philippians chapter 3 and he says, we have just dealt with, uh, there, are, uh, there are many of those who are enemies of the cross and therefore, he begins chapter 4, therefore stand firm, persevere, endure. How do we do that? He's going to give us some 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 very concrete benchmarks, how we as Christians can endure, how we can stand firm, how we can battle, and, and how we can cease to become and not become an enemy of the cross, not become an enemy of Christianity. And these are one of those things. Don't be anxious. And so when somebody is anxious or somebody is overwhelmed with worry, those of us who aren't simply say, well, don't worry about it. 
And so those who are anxious say, okay, right? That's like telling somebody who is terrified, somebody who is scared, well, don't be scared. Okay. Whenever, whenever my children were little, every one of them were scared of something. Uh, my youngest, my youngest, can, can I tell the story, Nicholas? Okay. My youngest was, was scared of gremlins. We sent him, we sent him to, to spend the night at Grandma and Grandpa's. And Grandma and Grandpa, in their infinite wisdom, because something happens whenever grandparents become grandparents, and all of a sudden logic and reason goes out the door, and, and they, let their, they let their grandchildren play with knives and, and, and run with scissors and, and watch scary movies. And it doesn't matter. Logic and, and rationale goes out of the window because, after all, they're my grandkids and they want to do it. You want to have cookies for dinner? We can have cookies for dinner. That's, that's what happens to grandparents. I, I don't understand it because my mom... Uh, was not like that when I was a child, but I send my kids over to her house and, and they do whatever they want. And, and I say, Mom, he has to take a bath. But he didn't want to take a bath. What? He has to take a bath. He's a, he's a seven-year-old little boy. What seven-year-old little boy wants to take a bath? None of them. But they're nasty and they're dirty. Make him take a bath. So, so we send him to Grandma's house and he comes home and he's terrified and so he, he, he comes out of his bedroom, and he's, 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 you know, tears are running down his face. He said, Dad, I'm scared. And I said, well, what are you scared of? And he says, the gremlins. I said, how do you know what gremlins are? Well, me and Papa watched this movie, and, and, and I'm like, so, so I said, okay, there's no such thing as gremlins. Okay. So we go tuck him in. Gremlins don't exist. Okay. But, Dad, I'm still scared of the gremlins. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's... And so, and so dad has to go outside and we have to put out a gremlin trap and we spray for gremlins and we do everything that, that, that we can do to calm his little mind. And, and the worst thing you can do to someone who's scared is say, well, don't be scared. There's no reason to be scared. Oh, okay. Doesn't help. Somebody who is anxious, somebody who's concerned, you know, that, that new mom who's pregnant and, and, you know, she's Googling everything. And the worst thing you can do when you're pregnant or when you're sick is Google. Google is, is the enemy. Google is the ally of anxiety. It is the enemy of peace. And so, you know, don't get on social media. Don't get on Google. I have these symptoms. What's going on? Because all of a sudden you're diagnosed with, with ALS and cancer and, and you know, uh, uh, Parkinson's and you're dying tomorrow. And you, you have a cold. You're okay. But these moms and these, these dads that are becoming parents, all of a sudden the weight of the reality and the gravity of the situation, all of a sudden I'm responsible for another human or, or these, these parents who are, who are watching their children grow and they're about to leave the house and, and you're, you're terrified. Have I done everything that I can to prepare them for, for this next stage in life or, or these grandparents who are watching their children parent or watching their, their grandchildren grow and maybe they're running from the Lord and, and there's this overwhelming anxiety over things that are, that are real and that are weighty. And Paul says, well, don't be anxious. Okay. So we're going to look this morning and hopefully through the principles that are in God's word, we're going to, to extract the truth and the principles on how we can war against anxiety. And there is a difference between good anxiety and bad anxiety. 
And there are some things that are good to be anxious about. These are things that make us punctual. These are things that make us responsible adults. If we never worried that the trash got taken out, then our households would, would, would become like those that are on the hoarding shows. But, but, but it's a good thing that, that at 5 o'clock in the morning you wake up and you think, oh, I forgot to bring the trash out, and you hurry up and you run on Monday morning and you put the trash out before the trash comes. Those are, those are little things. Those are, those are good anxieties. Those, those things that, that when your alarm goes off and, and, and you wake up in the morning and it's called an alarm clock because there's an alarm that, that tells us it's, a, it's time to get up, it's time to go to work, it causes responsibility. So there are good anxiety. Uh, there are things that, that help us meet deadlines, uh, things that help us be productive citizens, uh, things that help us uh, do what we are supposed to do, be responsible men and responsible women in society. But there are bad anxieties. And these bad anxieties are self-defeating. They're persistent worry, often on things that are outside of our control. And these bad anxieties is essentially functional atheism. We are concerned so much with those things that are outside of our control that, that we are functioning as if there is no God. We are living in a practical atheist, a atheistic mindset saying that everything depends upon me. The health of my children, the well-being of my family, the eternal security of my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I am so concerned with that that it is my responsibility that I have, to, I have to produce the outcome. I am responsible for the outcome. That we're essentially saying that I am me, that I am in control and that God is not sovereign. I want to remind us of what Paul writes to the church at Colossians. During this same prison stay, Paul writes a church, Paul writes a letter to the church at Colossae. And in chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this about Christ. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Christ, firstborn of all creation. Now that doesn't mean that he is first chronologically, but he is first preeminently, he is first in priority. Firstborn of all creation, for by him, and this is what I want us to see, verse 16. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And so this is what I want us to understand. As Paul is saying theologically, he is giving a very deep theological truth. He's saying Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that Christ is the means of creation. That Christ, the Son of God, created all things, all things, whether material or immaterial, whether that which is spiritual or that which is tangible, he created all things, that every king, every kingdom, every country, every dominion, whether that is in this world or in the next world, that Christ created them all, and all things are under his dominion, are under his control. So it does not matter, church, whether the Republicans are in control of House or whether the Democrats are in the control of the House. It does not matter whether a Republican sits on the White House or whether a Democrat sits on the White House because the ultimate authority is Christ who sits on his throne. 
It does not matter who is in control in Venezuela. It does not matter who is in control in Russia. It does not matter who is in control of these world powers because the ultimate ruler and the ultimate God and the ultimate king is Christ who is on his throne. And we live in a practical sense as though that is not true. We watch CNN and we watch Fox News like that really matters. And we consume ourselves and we overwhelm ourselves with, with, with the thought of what's going to happen if, if this takes place or what's going to happen if that takes place, forgetting that Christ is in control. And I want us to see this next verse, what he says in verse 17. He is before all things, talking about Christ, he is before all things and in him all things are held together. Christ is the sustainer, he is the sustaining factor, the sustainer of all things. He is sovereign over everything. There is not a raindrop that falls out of the heavens and hits the ground without Christ's foreordination. There is not a leaf that falls off of the tree and hits the ground without Christ's foreordination. Nothing is outside of his dominion and his control. And when we live, when we live with anxiety over the things that we cannot control... We are living in functional atheism. So, okay, preacher, I get it. To be anxious, to be overwhelmingly concerned with those things that I cannot control is sin. But that's like telling me not to be anxious is telling a three-year-old not to be scared of the dark. It doesn't make him not scared of the dark. I can acknowledge that it is sin. I can acknowledge that it is failure to trust in God. What do I do about it? How do I not be anxious? Well, Paul gives us the remedy. In verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The remedy for anxiety is prayer. The remedy for this overwhelming concern over things that we cannot control is an active prayer life. Why? Many of you will sit out there and, 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 and I already see the wheels turning. You say, well, preacher, you just told me God is sovereign. He's going to do whatever he wants to do, regardless of what I say or what I do. And so it doesn't make any sense to pray and ask God for stuff because he's God and he's sovereign and he's going to do what he says he's going to do and what he wants to do and what I say and what I do doesn't matter. So why pray? Prayer is not for God. Prayer is for us. When we actively articulate our concerns, our anxieties, our worries to the Lord, what we are doing is acknowledging our dependence upon him. When we go to the Lord and we pray and we say, God, my kids are heathens. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to parent them. Help. When we go to the Lord and we say, God, I got the rents due next week and the utility bills are due after that. And then I got to pay the water bill. And, and somehow in between there, we got to eat. And, and I only got X amount of dollars. And X plus Y does not equal Z. And, and I don't know how it's going to happen. 
And when we go to the Lord and when we bring these things to Him, we are acknowledging our dependence upon Him. And as we acknowledge our dependence upon Him, we understand that 1 Peter chapter 5, 7, that, that Peter tells us, he says, cast all of your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. I'm going to go back to the story of Nicholas with the gremlins. Nicholas comes to me and he says, Dad, I'm scared of gremlins. Simply by articulating that he is scared of gremlins, he is acknowledging the fact that he can do nothing about his fear. He can't protect himself from the gremlins. He can't protect the house from the gremlin. He is terrified. He is petrified. But when he goes to his dad at four years old, he knows that if anybody can protect me, it's my dad. And what does dad do? Dad does everything in his power to protect that little boy. He goes outside and he puts out fake gremlin traps. He gets Lysol. And he tells the kid that it's gremlin spray. And he sprays it all over the house. And then he tells the kid, I'm going to check on you every 30 minutes. And I'm going to set my alarm in the middle of the night. Now, Dad doesn't set his alarm in the middle of the night. But he tells the four-year-old, I'm going to set my alarm in the middle of the night. And I'm going to get up. And I'm going to come check on you and make sure that everything's okay. And then in the morning, whenever he wakes up, he says, Dad, I want to go see the gremlin trap. Make sure there's no gremlins in the gremlin trap. And so, so when that little boy expresses his concern and his anxiety, he is acknowledging his dependent upon his dad. And his dad says, I am going to do everything I can to protect you and to provide for you and to guard you and to, and to remove from you any reason, any logical linear reason that you should be concerned or be anxious. And God, in his great grace and in his great mercy, has told us through his word I will care for you. I protect you. Cast all of your cares upon me, for I care for you. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. The birds of the air, they don't toil, they don't sow, yet I provide everything that they need. The flowers of the field do nothing but they are arrayed in more splendor than Solomon in all of his glory. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, I will care for you. I will provide for you. I love you. I care for you. Cast all of your cares upon me. And so when we go to the Lord in prayer, we are acknowledging our dependence upon him. And notice what he says in verse 6. He says, not only do we bring our supplication to him, but it tells, us, it tells us that we should, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. When we have an attitude of gratitude, it's awful hard to be concerned that God's not going to care for us. When we begin to thank God for all of the ways that He has provided for us, that He has cared for us, that He has rescued us, that He has delivered us, all of a sudden, it seems foolish to be concerned that God's not going to continue to care for us, to provide for us, to deliver us. Anxiety, fear, is an emotion. Emotions are good. 
Emotions are God-given. God made us emotional beings. Many of you husbands out there are thinking to yourself right about now, I wish God hadn't made my wife quite such an emotional being. Maybe given her a little more logic. And those wives are sitting here saying, are you sure God gave my husband emotions? Because it seems like he's, he's void of all of them. But God made us emotional beings. He gives us emotions. But this is what I want us to understand is that our emotions, our emotions will lie to us. They will betray us. They will deceive us. Therefore, our emotions must be subservient to the truth of God's word. We must not allow our emotions to control us. We must combat the lies of the enemy. We must combat the lies that deceive us with the truth of God's word. So we're going to come back to this attitude of gratitude. But I want us to remember, I want us to remember that John chapter 10, verse 10, it tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And anxiety and worry is a tool, it is a resource that the enemy uses to steal and rob us of joy and contentment. And so, when our emotions lie to us, and our emotions tell us that, that, that God has forgotten us, that, that this is all up to me, that, that this, this concern or this fear or this anxiety is overwhelming, and that, that, that we cannot possibly accomplish, or we cannot do, or that, that God has forgotten us, the cure for that is by prayer and supplication— with thanksgiving, having this attitude of gratitude. And when we begin to be grateful, we begin to list out all of the things that God has done. We are reminded of His faithfulness. Now this is something I want to remind us, church. Prayer doesn't happen exclusively on our knees with our head bowed, talking to God. Do you realize that, that you can pray with a pen and a paper in your hand. You can pray with your eyes wide open. You can pray as you're driving. You can pray as you are reading. Prayer is simply conversation with the Heavenly Father. And so, as we are overwhelmed with anxiety and concern and worry and hurt and all of these emotions, let me encourage you. Acknowledge your dependence upon God. God, help. How am I going to raise these kids? How am I going to provide for these kids? Help. I acknowledge that I cannot. I acknowledge that I need your help. I acknowledge that, that you are the provider. You are the sustainer. You are in control of all things. The scripture says that, that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And sometimes we need to ask him to sell a few of those cattle. Sometimes we need to ask him to, to Lord, I don't know how I'm going to replace that washing machine. I don't know how I'm going to make that 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 mortgage payment but you sell a couple cattle because i need some help and maybe maybe it's 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 god I, I need you to provide for me be very frank and very honest with the lord god i need you to provide for me encouragement strength i need some friends i need somebody to call me and encourage me and help me and pray for me but with thanksgiving and as we are giving to God our grocery list of the things that we want, let us not forget to pause and thank God for what He has done. 
God, I thank you that you've given me a family who loves me. God, I thank you that you've given me a church home where I can go and where I can, where I can be encouraged and be fed. God, I thank you that you give me fellow believers. God, I thank you that you've given me a job, that I get income. God, I thank you that, that you have blank, 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 fill it in. And as you begin, as you begin to remind yourself of all of God's providences, of all of his goodness, of all of his grace to you, all of a sudden you're reminded that I can cast my cares upon him because he cares for me. And not only that, not only do I remember what he has done, but I remember what he promises to do. His word says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. But God, I feel like I'm all alone, but I know that your word tells me that you will never leave me nor forsake me. God, I feel like, like, like I'm abandoned. I feel like, like I'm fatherless. I feel like I have nowhere to turn. Yet your word tells me that we can cry out to you, Abba, Father, because we are adopted as sons. Your word tells me truth. And so we can combat the lies of the enemy. We can combat our emotions. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not whatever that lie may be, whatever those emotions may be. And we can combat those emotions with the truth of God's word. And sometimes that is, that is something tangible and something that we need to, to audibly tell ourselves. And we need to constantly preach the cross to ourselves. We sang just a few minutes ago, the world says that I'm a failure. Failure calls me friend. Shame comes into my life again. And I have to constantly remind myself that the cross says that I'm not a failure. His arms tell me how far his love would reach. And when the world lies to me and my emotions lie to me, I must come back to the truth of God's word. That Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That Jesus says that no one shall pluck you out of the Father's hand. That I am yours and you are mine. And so the truth of God's word is our combat for anxiety and for fear. It doesn't mean that the emotions aren't there. It doesn't mean that we don't feel a certain way. You know, my, my wife and I are fighting, which happens about once every five or six years. When, when, when we're in a, uh, a heated discussion, there are times when I don't feel like she loves me. There are times whenever she doesn't feel like I love her. Whenever my children are being disciplined and I take their phone or I take from them their freedoms or I spank them and send them to their room, they don't feel very loved. But the truth is, is that I love them. How do they know I love them? Because I provide for them, I care for them, I do discipline them. After the discipline, I go in their room and I wrap my arms around them and I love them and I kiss them and I, I tuck them into bed. And it doesn't matter that they were disobedient. My love doesn't change. How do I know my wife loves me? Because even when she's mad at me and she can't stand the thought of me, I'll wake up in the morning and she's got my coffee made. And I go in the dresser and there's a dresser full of clean clothes that she has, that she has washed and she's folded and she's put up. And even though she's so mad at me, she could spit. She says, 
you know, what do you want for dinner? What do you want? You know, and, and, and I know she loves me despite her emotions. The truth of God's word encourages us in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our fear. The enemy of faith, church, is forgetfulness. We forget how faithful God is. In the Old Testament, every time, God, every time God introduces himself, he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the God who provided for you. I am the God of your forefathers. Why does he introduce himself like that? Because Israel's just like us and they forget. I want to point out to you, Paul says this in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 4. He says, don't be anxious. But instead, take your request to the Lord. Cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Be thankful to God. And when you do that, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to be careful and remind us that Paul is not preaching a prosperity gospel here. Paul is not saying, just ask God for it and he'll give it to you. Where is Paul? He's in prison. Paul is telling the church, don't be anxious, but in everything acknowledge your dependence upon him. And the peace of God and God will provide for you. He'll protect you. He will sustain you. And he is saying this from a prison cell. He knows that his circumstances are not likely to change anytime soon. He knows that, that, that he doesn't have, uh, that there's not an appeals process and he's going to be sprung from jail. And all of a sudden he's going to go back to his, his mansion and his Jaguar and, and, and his Mercedes. Paul knows that that's not reality. But what he does know is that the God who cares for me, cares for me even while I'm in prison. The God who sustains me, sustains me even while I'm in prison. And so when he says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind, he's not saying everything according to this world is going to turn out great and you're going to have a 401k and you're going to drive, drive a, a $50,000 automobile and you're going to have everything you've ever wanted. No, what God reminds us in his word is that the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Well, the peace of God is found in the presence of God. In the midst of our problems, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our difficulty, the peace of God is found in God's provision, not God's deliverance. It's found in God's provision in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our pain. And so the cure for anxiety is not the absence of hurt and the absence of pain, the absence of failure, the, the absence of, of that which causes us anxiety, but it's the presence of God in the midst of those things. Paul is writing this from a prison cell. And Paul will die in prison. He will travel from Jerusalem to Rome in chains and shackles. And he will stand before the Roman authorities. And he'll be beheaded. Why? For the cause of the gospel. But Paul says, don't worry. Because even as I'm in prison, even as I'm in shackles, even as I'm in chains, I have the peace of God. Like a Roman army 
garrison guarding my heart. Not because everything's perfect, but because I have the presence of God. And in the presence of God, there's peace, there's comfort. Our emotions lie to us. I was reading one of my favorite books called The Insanity of God. And in The Insanity of God, the author travels to Europe. And as he's in Europe, he meets all of these, these pastors and leaders and, and missionaries. And he hears their story about how they were beaten for the cause of the gospel. How they were, many of them, martyred for the cause of the gospel. Their families martyred for the cause of the gospel. How they were left for dead. How, how they endured persecution after persecution, yet remained faithful. And, and the author looks at him and he says, he says, why haven't you written these stories down and shared them with the church that it may encourage them? And they looked at him and they said, why? He said, so other pastors and missionaries and people can, can read them and they can be encouraged. And he, they looked at him and they said, don't y'all have the Bible? Don't y'all have the Old Testament and the New Testament where the stories of God's people and the persecution that they endured have been chronicled for centuries? When did you stop reading your Bible? See, the truth of God is everlasting. Nothing new is happening. The enemy is not, he's not coming up with new schemes and new, new ways that, that, he ought to, uh, that he ought to deceive and that he ought to besiege his people. He still uses our emotion to lie to us. He still uses the enemy of the cross to deceive us. God's truth is our cure for anxiety. God's truth is that which provides comfort, strength, and encouragement. And the truth of the gospel is this. Apart from Christ, we should be anxious. We should be fearful. We should be concerned. Because the truth of the gospel is this, is that we are born into this world condemned. John chapter 3 verse 16 is a wonderful passage that, that, that we all know too well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But John verse 3, 18 is one that we often forget. It says those who don't know the son shall not see life because they are condemned already. We are born into this world condemned. John chapter 3, 36, it tells us that, that those who do not obey the son shall not see life and the wrath of God abides upon us. We are born into this world sinners. I don't have to teach my kids to lie, to cheat, to steal. I have to teach them not to. Because they're born with the innate desire to do that which is evil because we are born sinners. And we ought to be anxious and concerned apart from Christ. 
because we will stand one day before a holy God. And Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that it is appointed for man to die once and to face the judgment. And when I stand before a holy God with the litany of my sin and, and, and he peels back my heart and he sees the, the wickedness that is within, I stand before him condemned. And that ought to cause a deep anxiety in us. But the truth of the gospel is this, that while we were dead in our trespasses, the scripture tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is death. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrated his great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he imputed onto us his righteousness. So if we are in Christ, and only if we are in Christ, when God peels back the layer of my heart and he sees my wicked soul, the only hope for me is that it will be the, the blood of Christ and his imputed righteousness that he sees, not me. Because even as a pastor, I'm telling you, my heart is deceitfully wicked. And the, my only hope is Jesus. My only hope is that there's someone who paid the debt that I could not pay. And the only cure for my anxiety is that I can trust Jesus. So the short answer this morning to the war on anxiety is first and foremost, you must be in Christ. When we are in Christ, we can cast our cares upon Him, for He cares upon us, for He cares for us. We can acknowledge our dependence upon Him and trust in the truth of God's Word. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are good, that you are gracious, that you care for us. God, may we acknowledge that our emotions lie to us. Our emotions deceive us. Lord, and we can trust in your Holy Spirit. We can trust in your goodness and your grace and your mercy. God, this morning, there are those here who do not know Christ. Oh, they've been coming to church. They may have even not went in a baptistry, but they don't know Christ. They're trusting in their religion. They're trusting in their works. And you've called them this morning to trust in the shed blood of Jesus. There are those here this morning who have been so eaten up with anxiety and concern that it consumes them. And you're calling them this morning to cast their cares upon you, to trust in what you have done, to remind themselves of your goodness and your grace and your providence and your care for them. Maybe you need to come to this altar this morning. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. During this time of invitation, I want to invite you to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to bring your supplications, your requests to the Lord. Maybe you simply need to come here and thank him for all that he does for you. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name.